afraid I've got some bad news. I knew it. I love when he does that. One more match, main event time for the AEW Championship. All the matches have been for a title, but for the AEW title, Lance Archer versus Stone Cold John Moxley. Lance Archer's entrance, immediately this thing got off on the right foot. His entrance is made by, he throws a production crew man through the supposed plate glass of his entrance that's supposed to shatter. He, he Every week, he comes out the entrance way having attacked a crew member or beaten somebody up and throwing them out at somebody's feet. No, no, he doesn't. He doesn't do that for real. He doesn't attack people, innocent bystanders, every week and get away with it with no repercussions. You're telling me from the time I see this guy that this is stupid and it's bullshit and it's not real and not be taken seriously. And when the announcers buy it, they sound stupid. You notice JR kind of, well, what in the world happened there? And got away from it. <laughs> but I know not to take any of these people seriously when I see something like that. It's Mark Booking from people who who were never taught how to write, book, manipulate, choreograph, or whatever phrase you want to use, wrestling to be believable. It's just a joke to these people. Does he get and fined no, $5,000? Does he get fined $5,000 every time he does this like the Young Bucks do? Of course not. <laughs> or they'd mention it. Yeah. And nobody believes that anyway because the Young Bucks would be walking around like Gorilla Monsoon with 10 grand in their pocket. Gorilla Monsoon walked around with 10 grand cash in his pocket because he might need to buy something sometime and nobody was going to fucking take it away from him. You think the young bucks are walking around on the street in California with 10 grand in their fucking pocket and nobody would take it away from them? Grade school kids would have them hung upside down with their toes stuck in their ears. Anyway, so Lance Archer comes out and the, what they have him do kills the whole goddamn thing to begin with because it's just stupid. And it especially wouldn't happen every week. One time and leave it alone, maybe. that All right. Here comes Moxley. He's so far outside. He's all the way inside again. He goes from inside to outside and back to inside. Walks a fucking mile. Gets in the ring. The bell rings and he hits his finish for a two count. That's the opening move of the match. What the fuck? And they, they've also, after the previous two fights in the back that were stagey and unrealistic, they've made this a no DQ match. Of course they did. Because they got a champion that can't have a fucking match with rules in it because all he knows how to do is this outlaw death match bullshit. Good God, they sh Ian Rotten should have done a run in. They make it a no disqualification match. They're on the floor within 30 seconds, bouncing each other off the guardrails. Moxley does a dive, sloppy brawl endlessly around the arena. In capital letters, I wrote, same as every match Moxley has. They go to the break. They come back from the break, and guess what? Same as in every other fucking Moxley match. This guy worked for a major promotion, learned absolutely nothing, went back to his mud show roots as soon as he got free. No wonder they fucking didn't keep him from leaving. In the break, they have set up two tables ringside, perfectly aligned with each other. Of course they have, but they don't use them yet. But you know it's coming. 
garbage wrestling on national television. At least Lance Archer's forearms look good.
Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode 228 of the Hoots Podcast. Hope you guys are having a wonderful week so far. It's yours truly, the nefarious Bar Adam. You can follow me on Twitter if you like, at the Hoots Podcast. You can also check me out on Instagram, Lopez 94 or at Josh Lopez Music if you'd like to see me do some pretty cool guitar covers and stuff. Got a lot to get into this week. Really quick, I want to send a couple shout-outs, as always. First off, to each and every single one of you who listen and subscribe to this podcast each and every single week. The good brothers and good sisters, you guys know who you are. I appreciate the love and support. And if you're a first-time listener to the Hoots podcast or the podcast that Hoots, as Bert Carter would mention, um, speaking of Bert Carter, we'll have a brand-new edition of The Thoughts of Derrick O. As always, per ritual at the end of this week's podcast, he calls this the podcast that hoots so uh we got a lot to get into this week uh got two pay-per-views coming up on sun uh saturday and sunday we got bound for glory for impact wrestling which i'll be making predictions for later on in the podcast also and uh held this cell looking forward to that in the wwe thunderdome of course i'd be remiss without mentioning everybody's favorite segment in all of podcasting in 2020 what the hell is wrong with AW will be taking place later on in this podcast, the most popular, popular and most requested segment in all professional wrestling podcasting. A couple quick business things I want to mention before we get into the Good Brothers Q&A session. First off, make sure to subscribe. Smash that subscribe button anywhere you get your podcast from so you never miss an episode. This podcast comes to you free of charge if you don't charge you anything to listen to this podcast. Um, all I ask is for you to subscribe. And if you could, especially for those who use Apple Podcasts, Please leave us a four or five star review or rating. It really helps expand the reach of the podcast. So I want to thank you guys for support on that end. Also, if you could, please bookmark ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. That's my baby. That's my website. If you need a point of reference for any of the shows you missed on television this week or you just want to catch up with the products you just don't have time for, uh, make sure to check out ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. I got a dismissed G1. We'll be recapping that later on in the pod as well. Uh, it's been a lot of wrestling to jot down. I mean, there was the AEW Dark Marathon <laughs> on Tuesday night with 16 matches. And your boy's just busy, and there's a lot of stuff going on. So, again, ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. And one last final plug, I want to send a shout-out to the good brother Jonathan Hood for having me on the 100th episode of TWT this past Tuesday. We had the Hood versus Lopez draft, AEW versus NXT. That was a lot of fun to record, and definitely a fun podcast. You guys should definitely go check out and listen to, and um, make sure to support Hoodie and this podcast. Make sure to follow me on Twitter, by the way, WrestleTWT, or at TweetJHood. So, with that all being said, let's get into the Good Brothers uh, Q&A shooting the shit session. As always, if you ever want to send me a question, all you have to do is to... Uh, Tweet me at the Hoots Podcast or email me at the Hoots Podcast at gmail.com. First question here we're going to go to is from the good brother Chris Aletta, uh, frequent uh, listener to the podcast and the good brother. More importantly, you can follow him at Twitter, by the way, at xteensaletta24x. He's, here he goes. Here's his message. He says, "What what's up, Boos? Here's some questions for the show this week. Favorite Power Rangers season slash uh, time frame, and uh, what's your favorite Zord um, of... Power Rangers. Um, you know, for me, 
Chris, I always been a fan of Power Rangers. Uh, I was thinking about this the other day. Uh, when I was a kid, I had all these like massive collection of Power Rangers, Yu-Gi-Oh, Digimon, Pokemon cards, toys, all this shit. Uh, my parents can attest to that. Um, <laughs> I, I was really big to that stuff. I was a kid in the late nineties. Um, I was born in 1994. And I love Power Rangers. I, I think nothing for me personally tops the first season. And I think that's the case for most series or just anything you watch uh, as a kid. Uh, Power Rangers season one is the one that stood out the most to me. Uh, as far as the Zord is concerned, uh, my favorite Zord was the Black Mastodon uh, Dino Zord. That was my favorite uh, Power Ranger, the Black Mastodon Dino Zord. So... Thanks for that question. That was a good one. Uh, next one. Are the Dolphins rushing Tua, Tavo, uh, Tua onto the field? I don't think they're rushing him on the field. I just think it's murky water sometimes when it comes to highly drafted quarterbacks and when do you start them or when you don't. Do you side the bench for the first year? Do they retro? It's it's so fluid. I don't think there's an exact science as to when or not to put in a starting quarterback. Hey, I'm from Chicago. We all know the drill when it comes to handling uh, highly drafted rookie quarterbacks. So uh, I don't think they're rushing him on the field. I think he's a good player. Uh, you do feel kind of bad for Ryan Fitzpatrick for the fact that he was uh, doing some really good stuff this season and the Dolphins is a really well coached team and I like what Brian Flores is doing in Miami and I hope that Brian gets a chance to, um, you know, just have the chance to uh, be uh, a successful coach and have a sustainable amount of success in Miami as opposed to previous Bill Belichick coaches. So I don't think they're rushing him on the field, but I'm curious to see what happens and Tua could uh, make a name for himself. Next question here. Uh, how many times do you think the Bulls would have won if LeBron and Chris Bosh signed with them back in 2010? Well, I don't want to be remiss without mentioning Dwayne Wade into this mix because originally there was going to be no Le- uh, LeBron or Chris Bosh without Dwayne Wade. And originally, D-Wade wanted to come back here to Chicago in 2010. And then it was a last-minute change after a discussion with Pat Riley, so they decided to go back to Miami. And um, uh, full disclosure, for those who know me personally or those who are listening to the podcast for the first time, I'm not a fan of LeBron James. I never wanted LeBron on the Bulls. Uh, on the Bulls. Yeah, judge me, please. I, I really don't care. Be offended. <laughs> That's my new slogan going forward. Please be offended. Um, I, I'm not a LeBron fan, but to answer your question, if they were here uh, with Derrick Rose at his prime and Joe Kinoa and Tom Thibodeau still being the coach, they probably would have won three or four NBA titles. Uh, titles. Uh, I think it can't be remiss without mentioning how difficult it is to have uh, these dynasties where you have, I don't know, three or four straight championships. Um, that that's what was so special about the Bulls and the Knights and the fact that they did they had two three peats in a decade. I don't think that'll ever happen again. You know, I know the Lakers had the three peat, but still at the same time they lost to the Detroit Pistons in the NBA Finals. So. Um, it's hard, it's difficult, but um, yeah, that's how many times I think the Bulls would have had if uh, LeBron, Wade, and Bosch came here. Favorite GM slash commissioner in WWE. My favorite uh, general manager of all time in WWE was William Regal. Uh, be remiss without mentioning uh, Teddy Long. Also, um, 
I was a big fan of Eric Bischoff and what he did during the Ruthless Aggression era on uh, Monday Night Raw, being the general manager there. I, believe it or not, folks, I, I liked <laughs> John Laurinaitis <laughs> as a general manager on uh, Monday Night Raw. I thought Big Johnny did a great job uh, when it came to that. So uh, that'd be my answer for that question. Are you in on a Roman slash Goldberg feud? Well, Chris, I, I, this is not a slide. You know, I'm just, I, this is uh, an observation for everybody. Every time I see uh, these threads on Twitter about, oh my God, I hear the rumors, so that means this is going to be a feud. I think we need to like pinpoint what's actually a feud and what's a match because even before the whole pandemic started, I just thought Roman and Goldberg were going to be a one-off match at WrestleMania. And if they do fight each other for a match... Cool, but I don't think it, I don't think one match necessitates a feud. Yes, I understand The Rock and John Cena had this rivalry, but it, this was totally different parameters because The Rock and John Cena, you knew one way or another they were gonna have another match with each other. Yeah, I get it. The whole marketing hype was once in a lifetime. Rock and John Cena. Yeah, for that year, that marketing tool was once in a lifetime. This is the first time the Rock and John Cena find each other. So um, I don't think just because Goldberg would have a match with Reigns, I don't think that constitutes being a feud. Should Eddie Kingston beat John Moxley at full gear? As much as it pains me to say this, I say no. Because if MJF can't beat Eddie, uh, if MJF can't beat John Moxley, if Lance Archer can't beat John Moxley, if Brody Lee can't beat John Moxley, if Brian Cage can't beat John Moxley, like what are we doing here? I I love Eddie. He's a great promo guy. Um, uh, I, I just think it's interesting that he still has to uh, rely on mentioning WWE to get his promo started, but that's just another topic for another time. Uh, but <laughs> I love Kingston, but we know what this whole drill is. Everything with AEW is to prop up performers that they felt they were done wrong in WWE when they weren't, and they're going to try to put them on the pedestal that they don't belong on. And John Moxley is the case in point of that example. So I say uh, I don't think Eddie Kingston should be John Moxley, and I don't think Eddie Kingston will be John Moxley at full gear. Uh, do you think New Japan should have should have did Jay White and Evil in the finals? I don't, Chris. I for me personally, I like to keep it babyface. At least have somebody to cheer for in in the finals. Uh, I don't, I'm not into fine, uh, heels versus heels in the finals of the G1. That's just me personally. But if you want to do evil versus Jay White at, at Wrestle Kingdom, by all means, you can have that match. Eric Bischoff said a few days ago on an episode of Eight Three Weeks that TNA in its prime was better than NXT. Do you agree? I do not agree. I think for me, um, if Bischoff's considering his run with Hogan compared to what NXT's done over the last five years, uh, it's not even close. NXT's better content, uh, much different business uh, gatherings, and the fact that NXT was able to, um, you know, have these takeovers at basketball arenas around the world and do touring. I'm sure NXT's touring was better than TNA's at the time, and 
the TNA Prime was before Eric Bischoff came to the company, not while he was there. So, as much as I love Bischoff, I disagree with that sentiment wholeheartedly. Shout out to the questions there from Chris. I got one one more for him to wrap up this segment. Let's scroll up here and see what else questions we got this week. Uh, here you go. Here's a good question here. Shout out to the good brother Patrick Fritz at Rated PWF. He says, what are your thoughts regarding the retirement of Mike Doc Emmerich? Any memories? Uh, Mike Emmerich was one of the greatest play-by-play guys of all time when it came to sports and just that aspect of sports and, you know, getting to listen to him do the calls for the three championships that the Blackhawks won in uh, the 2010 years, uh, 2010, 2013, and 2015, which is really special. So, uh, Doc Emmerich was a great broadcaster. Uh, if he's at peace with his decision with his retirement, I'm happy for him. He was a legend. Uh, there won't be another one for him, at least in the hockey world, in my opinion. So it's, it's a bummer to hear that he is retiring. But uh, if he's at peace with that decision, I'm happy for him. And just my favorite memories are all the ones of the championship games that the Blackhawks won, especially the Stanley Cup Finals. So, Doc, much respect to you, good brother. Uh, you're a legend, and um, thank you for everything you've done for the sport. It really means a lot. Alright, another batch of questions here from the good brother Nate the Great. By the way, you can follow Nate on Twitter if you like, at Psycho Nigiri. Nate sends a couple questions each and every single week, and I appreciate them. Here you go. He says, If you could change one event in history, which would you change? I think the event I would change, Nate, um, is 9-11. And I, I know that's an easy one to pick, but I think it has more of a long-term ramification from my point of view because as much as I can remember from being a kid, I was seven years old when 9-11 went down. And for me personally, I, I from what I remember, I don't remember this country being so insecure and paranoid about things. I knew we still had issues with police brutality or uh, racism and a lot of that stuff that's still going on today and still shouldn't happen, but it is, unfortunately. But... Even then, during that time period, I felt like people enjoyed being humans at that time, and it seemed like the country was at peace with each other. Um, maybe, just, maybe I'm wrong and naive and looking at it from the wrong lens as being a naive kid at the time, but for me personally, I just thought the country was in a better place, but after 9-11, everything changed. It was about vengeance and war, and then we got back to the old trope of, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, we hate each other, blah, 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 blah. So, if I had one event to change in history, it would be 9-11. Do you think it would be smart if AEW to keep the Lucha Brothers as a tag team or separate them? Uh, meet, meet real quick on this one, I think they should separate them. i seen them in Lucha Underground, they're fantastic performers. I saw the match they had on Dynamite last night. It was fantastic. What they did in Lucha Underground, there are two major stars and they're separate entities. It could happen. I think they get AEW's leaving money on the table by just keeping them as a tag team. I think they should be separate stars and they should go their separate ways. This is a good question here. Storytelling or match quality? Which is more important to you? I think for me personally, guys, I think... um, Match quality is more important because in the in the end of the day, in my opinion, the ultimate stories in pro wrestling are told in that twenty by twenty ring. 
It's not promos. It's not booking. It's not perception on wrestling Twitter. It's not the bump. It's not busted open. It's not radio shows. It's not Seltzer and Alvinbitch. It's it's none of those. It, what's the ultimate story at the end of the day is what's told inside that ring. And I think that's what's most important. Yes, I'm biased to a certain extent because I cover and break down all these matches for a living. But still, at the end of the day, what's more important in wrestling is what is the draw of the ring. Is that two men in the ring having an awesome match and letting their story play out inside those inside those ropes? A couple more questions here for Nate. Uh, next one, he says, have you had any negative experiences with police in your life? What are your thoughts on 2020 police force and should they be defunded? Knock on wood, I have not had any serious uh, run-ins or experiences with the police. Um, you know, occasionally I'll get a mean bug here and there by certain cops, but it's whatever. Uh, n- nothing too serious. Um, I think I got called a spick one time uh, by a Boston police officer, but that's another story for another time. <laughs> um, you know, do I think that the police force should be defunded? No, I don't think there should be defunded of police. Now, when I said that, that's not in a endorsement or anything like that of what Trump or people who enjoy Trump. Uh, that's not where I come from with this angle. I don't think you need to defund the police to make a point. You just need to look at the infrastructure of the police system and the federal system and just the judicial system in general. And there needs to be a foundational change there. There just needs to be a new way of thinking and how we conduct ourselves. Uh, yeah, you have bad, I'm tired of the excuse of, oh, we have a bad, few bad apples ruined the, the perception of the police. You should, I think the, the people at charge for these local authority places need to have better people that can assess character. And this really hits home for me because I have my uncles from my dad's side of family who are police officers. My cousin Gina uh, just uh, just became a police officer a couple years ago. I worry about their safety every single day. And it's home for me because I live in one of the most violent cities in the United States and around the world, you know. And I don't think the police need to be defunded, but there has to be change. You can't just put a, a blind eye to what's going on in this country right now. With how we conduct ourselves, the way we interact with people, uh, it's just it's just embarrassing. So I wouldn't defund the police, but there needs to be change in the police force, just in general. So, uh, last question for Nate here. He says, "Favorite memory with your parents?" Well, I think for me, my favorite memory with my parents is just any of the times um, they came to visit any of the uh, musical performances I had over the years. And, um, you know, get to see me play at, uh, Chicago Symphony Orchestra Hall, which was cool, uh, Navy Pier concert, or the talent shows at Chopin or Rotter, um, being there for my football games in high school, um, you know, they've, they've always been supportive in what I want to do, and I'm very fortunate from that point of view, um, uh, that's not to say that things have been always been easy between us uh, on both ends, but uh, I'm, uh, my favorite memories have always been the ones that they're there to share special moments with me. So those are the ones that always stand out. So I appreciate that question. Uh, 
And then uh, last question I wanted to mention here uh, as we wrap up this segment comes from Crystaletta. It says, do you think the Bears will be looking to add a quarterback this offseason and who will it be? I think they do. I think they'll find they'll try to start looking for a quarterback. I don't know who it is. I'm not paying attention to college football, so I'm ignorant to the discussion of who they should draft in the next coming draft. You know, if you guys have suggestions, I'm open to ears. But <coughs> excuse me, I think uh, overall in totality, I just think the handling of Mitch Trubisky in the city of Chicago is just embarrassing for the franchise and the fan base. The dude uh, got drafted here. Uh, he's not responsible for Ryan Pace training up and selecting him. Um, nobody in the city gave Mr. Trubisky a chance. They booed him at the uh, Bulls game like the night after when he went to visit the Bulls game after being drafted. And it's just been waiting for him to fail. Uh, the fan base, social media, uh, national analysts who didn't uh, uh, got butthurt over the fact that Watson Mahomes weren't the first quarterback drafted off the board. Uh, I just feel like a lot of people had an agenda towards Mr. Bisky and it didn't matter what he was doing as a quarterback, people were not going to support him. And I just think people people lose perspective and concepts and just they they lose context on what the situation was here. When Mitch got drafted here in 2017, the Bears just moved on from Jay Cutler. And they were part of a rebuild. They're in the middle of a rebuild, and yet Mike Glennon is a bridge quarterback. And John Fox and Doug Loggins as the head coach and offensive play caller. With, you know, an even worse wide receiver core than the New York Jets have right now. And I just don't know how you could say that you're putting your highly drafted quarterback in the position to succeed when your coach is about to be fired, which did happen in 2017. John Fox got fired. Then we bring in Matt Nagy. And yeah, I get it. Comedy purposes, people forget how good the 2018 Bears were because the season ended in a double doink. I get it. You know, Chris Consworth. Uh, made the whole chuckle fest out of it when it wasn't fucking funny. And now people look back to Bears being the joke that they always are, right? And what gets lost in the sauce there is that that field goal would not happen if Mitch Trubisky brought the team down there to get the field goal opportunity in the first place. Nobody wants to acknowledge that. Because it always has to go back to Mahomes and Watson as if those two were going to have the same trajectory if they were playing here. Matt Nagy, again, for those who are listening, Matt Nagy was not the coach for the Bears when Mitch Trubisky got drafted here. Khalil Mack and his defense was not there when Mitch Trubisky got drafted. The way the defense is right now, it was not there when Mitch Trubisky got drafted. So it's it's easy in hindsight to say that he's a bust and all this shit. But I just think context goes out the window when it comes to the Bears and the quarterback conversation. I'm not going to mistake anybody or mistake Mr. Bisky for being a top-tier elite quarterback. But just the conversations I see on Twitter and him being the butt of jokes and people saying that he's the worst quarterback of all time and Ryan Leaf was better and all this shit is just absolutely wrong <laughs> and just embarrassing. So do I think they'll go after a new quarterback? Yeah. 
But the question is who and who's really going to make a difference at the end of the day. So uh, I want to thank Chris, uh, Pat, and Nate. It's, as always, for saying great questions. I appreciate the support. If anybody ever wants to send a question to the Hoots Podcast, all you have to do is tweet me at the Hoots Podcast or send me an email at the Hoots Podcast at gmail.com. And I always appreciate the support. So, with that being said, uh, we finished our first part of the show. And when I come back here on the Hoots Podcast, Pal. Uh, we're going to get into what happened this week in the WWE. Uh, a couple days out from Hell in the Cell. And I uh, want to talk a little bit about what's going on in NXT. Because we got NXT Halloween Havoc coming up next Wednesday. Which I'm really looking forward to. Should be a fun event. And uh, anything else that pops up from the top of my head from Raw and SmackDown this week. So I'm going to take a quick swig of water. And then when we come back. We'll get to this week in the wild world of the WWE. All right, folks, back here on the Who's Podcast. Time to talk about what happened this week in WWE. We started off with what went down on SmackDown this past Friday night, the season premiere of SmackDown on Fox. A lot of new faces, uh, a lot of new scenarios and possibilities down the road. And we started off with the main event with uh, Roman Reigns and Braun Strowman for the Universal title. Pretty good match. Roman Reigns made Braun Strowman tap out to Gene Ticho. But hey, Dave Meltzer will tell you that Roman Reigns can't work, pal. <laughs> By the way, you wonder if uh, JD for New York is doing like his fucking ninth Roman Reigns rant of the week while writing his love letter to Cody Rhodes. I'm, I'm trying to figure that out. Uh, also on the program, um, Seth Rollins had a conversation with Daniel Bryan. I mentioned here in the podcast last week. That was one of the feuds I was looking forward to uh, on SmackDown brand. So they didn't waste any time to get into that. So really cool. But Seth Rollins probably still has some unfinished business with the Mysterio family. And we'll uh, figure that out uh, when we get to Hell in the Cell. And uh, tomorrow night's the go-home show for Hell in the Cell on Fox. Uh, it's not on Fox tomorrow, it's on FS1 actually, for those who are listening, so don't forget Smackdown's on FS1 tomorrow night, due to the World Series so be on the lookout for that and uh, curious to see what happens there I really enjoyed the Sasha Banks uh, Bailey uh, contract sign for the Hell in the Cell match on Sunday but Bailey didn't sign it, so it's not official yet, but we gotta figure out what's gonna happen with, between both of them on Smackdown tomorrow night again, I asked this question and I, I wanna gauge your thoughts how long can you personally be invested for Bailey and Sasha Banks? How long could this feud go until to the point you're having fatigue and want them to move on from each other? That's what I know. I want to know. I love Sasha Banks. I'm a I'm a big fan of hers. I'm loving what she's doing. I have even more appreciation for her as the weeks go by. But um, how much longer can these two go on without both of them bringing each other down by just fighting each other? Constantly and constantly and constantly and constantly. Should Hell in the Cell be the final conclusion for Bailey and Sasha? If not, when? I want to know. Uh, send, let me know. Just respond. Let me know what you think will happen uh, between those two ladies and how long they should continue fighting each other. Let's transition to Raleigh quick. Talk a little bit about some of the stuff that stood out to me. 
Uh, first off, a couple really good matches on the show. We had AJ Styles and Matt Riddle. That was a fantastic match. Really enjoyed that. Uh, loved the Kofi Kingston Sheamus match. That was like a G1 style match, in my opinion. Really enjoyed that. Um, the whole stuff with Nia Jax. Uh, a lot of through the table. The announce table with the small drop five weeks ago is pretty funny. Um, I, I put the tweet out. I put it. <laughs> I put the tweet out the other night, and I was like, "Man, that that announce table is forever shook, pal." <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I I get it. I think it's funny. I think it's ATC serious. And I thought uh, to give Lana props, I thought Lana uh, did a pretty good job in her match with Oscar for the Raw Women's Title. I thought that was interesting. I don't know about the whole four way match that went out with the the tag team match with the women. I, I find the fact that they went multiple women's matches on Raw, and that's fine. But uh, it seemed out of the blue to have all four of them there. And why is the right squad there? I don't. I don't know. Uh, one of the big sticky points for people this week, because, you know, we always have to find something to bitch about when it comes to the WWE, um, is this narrative that Retribution was supposedly buried on Raw. So let's break that down a little bit, shall we? So they have a really good match with the Hurt Business, multiple segments. Bobby Lashley made T-Bar tap out to the Hurt Lock. So that's how the Hurt Business won the match, right? And I'm watching this as the show goes on, and he was like, I can't believe that, that Retribution got buried on Raw just like that. Uh, I saw a tweet like, dead on arrival, Retribution's buried. They're not buried. So, let's say Retribution defeats Hurt Business. Clean. Like nothing. Let's say like T-Bar does like a chokeslam or something to Shelton Benjamin, and that's the finish. Would you say, man, so much for all the stock and investment and care that you had on a hurt business, right? You would say that too. Don't don't lie to me. <laughs> you, we we can be fair about this, right? So, I think so many times we get so fixated on these week to week television shows, and if per, one person loses one match on Raw or SmackDown, or they lose a match on Pay Per View, then people are like, "Oh my God, they're buried." What's going to happen? What's their future going to look like? Oh my god, typical WWE booking, right? The, uh, hashtag WWE logic. WWE logic. WWE logic. Like, the stupidest hashtag in God's reads fucking earth. Like, <laughs> explain to me how the, herp, uh, the retribution losing to the herpes means that retribution is buried. And then the whole thing about the fiend. Look, we know the whole drill. It doesn't matter if you're John Cena, a babyface, a heel. No matter what it is, if you try to step in the Fiend's way, you're going to get got. And unfortunately for Retribution, that's what happened. They decided that they wanted to lurk around the ring while Alexa and the Fiend were having a pretty cool moment with each other, uh, staying in the ring. I'm really, I'm really can't wait for the moment where they actually have their first promo segment with the red lighting on. I think that's going to be dope. But speaking of promos... And why I don't think Retribution is buried. Here's some comments from Ali during this past week's Monday Night Raw. Earlier tonight, the Fiend and the Hurt Business made a very big mistake. They made the mistake of believing that my only power is strength in numbers. No. My power is creating chaos. 
And you all have no idea how much chaos I can create. All I need is a, a laptop, a cell phone, a secret. And with one click, I can make anyone's world come crumbling down. And I've learned to embrace that power. Over this past year while I was sitting at home, because this corrupt company couldn't figure out how to make a buck off of someone named Mustafa Ali. I wasn't just watching the show. I was watching each and every one of these spineless superstars as they plotted and they backstabbed each other just to get ahead. And I learned all of your pathetic little secrets. I mean, I guess this, at this point I should just go ahead and confess. That mysterious hacker over on SmackDown, yeah, that was me. And I did it. Because I want the entire world to know that this sick place is infecting everyone with greed and corruption. Because of that, good, talented individuals are being forgotten. They're being abandoned. Their dreams are left to die. But I found them. I united them. And I promised them that their truth will be heard. So to anyone, whether it be the fiend or the hurt business or anyone on Monday Night Raw, if you try to stop the truth from being heard, we will shut you down. How about that, man? <laughs> pretty, pretty cool double shit right there, right? Uh, speaking of cool stuff, uh, I wanted to give a shout-out to NF for that awesome new intro for Monday Night Raw. That was pretty dope, right? <laughs> um, really quick, before we wrap up this segment, I just wanted to mention that I've been really, really enjoying the build-up for the Drew McIntyre Randy Orton match for Hell in the Cell. If you look at the three Hell in the Cell matches that are scheduled for Sunday, uh, I'm just really excited to see what's going to happen because, like, um, all three matches actually fit the stipulation for this pay-per-view as opposed to previous years where it wouldn't. Um, I think Drew and Randy should definitely main event the show. I think they've done the best job going into this pay-per-view, and I think they deserve the opportunity to close the show and finish off their rivalry properly. So... I'm all in for uh, Drew McIntyre and uh, Drew McIntyre and Randy Orton fighting each other in the main event for Hell in the Cell on Sunday. I thought Randy's promo on Raw was really good, and I thought the fact that they did not touch and have another brawl uh, to close Raw this week was a good choice and leave it for symbolism and wait for it on Sunday. They already sold me. They've already had multiple brawls. We sold the whole thing. So I didn't think they needed to fight each other. They didn't need to brawl before the pay-per-view. So I thought it was a good send-off and a good uh, start-off point for Raw going into this pay-per-view on Sunday. So uh, pretty solid Raw as well. So before we wrap the segment, I just wanted to mention uh, XC, uh, XC Halloween Havoc is taking place uh, next Wednesday on USA Network. Uh, four matches have been announced for this uh, event. We got Damian Priest against Johnny Gargano for the NXT North American Championship. Also seeing the fact that we got uh, 
Io Shirai versus Candice Ray for the NXT Women's Championship. Both those matches will take place via the spin the wheel, make the deal, pal. Uh, <laughs> these two are return matches from NXT TakeOver 31. Also, we have Rhea Ripley taking on Raquel Gonzalez and then Cameron Grimes. Cameron Grimes going to the moon. He's taking on Dexter Loomis in the Haunted uh, haunted House of Terror match. I don't know what in the blue hell that is, but I'm curious to see <laughs> what goes down. So, um, yeah, NXT TakeOver Halloween Havoc should be pretty cool, and that should be a, a fun event to jot down. So, also, I wanted to mention from last night, I saw NXT, and congrats to Only Lorcan and Danny Birch, um, you know, becoming the brand new XC Tag Team Champions and seeing the return of Pat McAfee. I love what Pat McAfee did at XC TakeOver 30, and it found it was revealed that he was the one that was behind the, the recent uh, mysterious behind-the-scenes attack on the Unstreet Era, and... Um, I had a team in the back of my head that there was some unfinished business with Pat McAfee and Adam Cole, so pretty cool to see Pat McAfee back on the show, I'm not going to lie, and Birch and Lorkin, cool to see them have the tag titles, and you know, if they're in the territory area, I was talking about this with Hoodie the other day, like, if they were in the territories, uh, Continental, Georgia, um, fuck, the AWA, uh, Portland, um, you know, maybe go to Paul Bosch in Houston or Sam Mushnick in St. Louis. Like you, you could have had, um, some <laughs> virtual Lorca would be one of the greatest tag team wrestling, uh, tag teams of all time in the eighties. That's, that's the point I wanted to make here. So congratulations to them becoming the new NXT tag team champions. That was pretty cool. And then I um, also wanted to mention that God fucking cancel Ray is hot as a heel. <laughs> uh, that with that being said, that's a wrap for this week in WWE. When I come back, I'm gonna uh, give you some quick takeaways just from my experience of uh, wrapping up the G1 Climax 30 and give you some predictions yes, for Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory, which will be taking place this Saturday night in Nashville, Tennessee. You can check it out on pay-per-view or on Fight TV if you choose to stream the event. So I'll take one more swig of water, and when we come back, I'll be here to recap what went down in the G1 and also talk about Bound for Glory, uh, Impact Wrestling's biggest show the year coming up this Saturday. Right here on the Hoots Podcast, pal. Okie dokie, pal. We're back here on the Hoots Podcast. Uh, really cool before we get to what everybody's been waiting for. Uh, I want to uh, talk about what's going on with uh, the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling and Impact Wrestling. This is our time where we can talk about stuff outside the WWE AEW bubble because there are other promotions outside of WWE and AEW and um, we'll start with the New Japan uh, G1 Climax 30 experience. I just want to give a big round of applause for New Japan and what they're able to accomplish with pulling off 19 events in 30 days, pulling off the G1 the way it should be and just what they were able to accomplish with all the parameters around the pandemic, the fact they were able to have full crowds for some of these events, sold out events, sold out crowds, 
Uh, it was just a fun experience, and this is the fourth time I've covered the G1 in my time of being a transcriber and just doing covering the wrestling industry for a living and being part of the wrestling media. And this one will be very special to me, just due to the fact that it was during a pandemic. And for me personally, I really don't have a lot of stuff to look forward to these days. And um, you know, the G1 really helped me out in having something to. You know, have have some motivation for it to accomplish and something that I really enjoyed covering. Uh, you know, there was a lot of weeks where I didn't have a lot of sleep, averaging maybe three or four hours of sleep because outside of what I do here with the podcast and the website, I also work at my uncle's tattoo shop. So it's a little different experience. Um you know, just waking up at the crack of dawn all day to try to pump out these articles for all you guys. And I really do hope that any of my transcripts there that you want to help made the tour, the tour, the tournament more specifically helpful and insightful for you as it went on. And it was a lot of fun. There was a lot of matches that stood out all from the B block, all from the A block. Uh, we had Kota Ibushi and Sonata in the finals. It was a 35-minute barn burner, which saw Ibushi capture his second G1 Climax trophy in consecutive years. Kota Ibushi will be main eventing Wrestle Kingdom 15 this year, and that was a pretty cool moment. And, you know, speaking of cool moments, we saw Ishii cost Jay White the G1. I mentioned this to Hoodie the other day. If Jay White beat Ishii last Friday... Jay White would have been the one fighting Sonata in the finals of the G1, or the J1, as he would like to call it. <laughs> um, so, you know, Ishii playing spoiler in that moment was just awesome. Got a big pop out of that. And then we had a couple switching directions of turns, you know. Um, Ta- Tanahashi, obviously, he's not going to be doing the taxi stuff, so... He's going to be going after Kenta in that uh, red contract briefcase for the uh, cha- the contract to fight John Moxley for the U.S. title. Uh, that should be interesting. We're on the road to power struggle starting tomorrow morning. <laughs> I got to uh, do that article for you guys. But, um, yeah, we got um, a couple big matches announced for power struggle. Uh, Naito's taking on Evil. It looks like th- that's going to be the final match of their rivalry for the meantime going into uh, Wrestle Kingdom, which is fine. Uh, Naito and Evil need a break from each other, so to have that power struggle, that should be a good match. Uh, Jay White's going to be challenging Abushi for his Wrestle Kingdom 15 contract at Power Struggle. Jay White defeated Kota Abushi during the uh, G1 uh, this year, so we'll see what goes down in that match? Uh, Shingo against uh, Minoru Suzuki for the Never Openweight title rematch from the uh, get, uh, Jinju uh, Stadium event. That should be a lot of fun. The summer, the summer struggle stadium show. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be part three of their rivalry. They had another clinic in the G1, which Takagi defeated Minoru Suzuki in the G1, and that's going to be a fun match to jot down as well. And then. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kenta, that should be good as well. I think Kenta beat Hiroshi, Hiroshi Tanahashi in the G1 this year. Uh, I think I could be wrong. I'll have to look back at my notes, but yeah, so Power Struggle's gonna be a good event. Um, you know, got this big news of the, uh, the heel turn. The heel turn of heel turns, pal. Uh, Will Ospreay is now a heel, and uh, he brought in his super hot girlfriend, B Priestley. Uh, 
he's starting a new faction now. So we have B Priestley and the formerly known Tomiyoki Oka, now known as the Great Okan. Uh, Oka, uh, Great Okan will be taking out Okada at Power Struggle. So um, it looks like we may have Will Ospreay versus Okada at Wrestle Kingdom, and I'm all for that. So that should be a fun match. Now, here's the thing. When you do something where you have Okada or Osprey find a way to beat Naito for the IC title in the meantime and have those two fight each other for the IC title at um, at Wrestle Kingdom, because that's what I would do. That's just a suggestion from yours truly. So, <laughs> um, yeah, so that that's what's going on with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Also, don't forget to check out New Japan Strong. It's a fun show that I get to tr- transcribe every Friday night. Uh, Kevin Kelly and uh, Alex Kozlov do the commentary for that show, and it's just a lot of fun to check out that product. And uh, make sure to support uh, New Japan Strong. All right, let's get into some predictions. Yes, for Impact Wrestling's Bound for Glory 2020. We're starting from the bottom to the top. We got Eddie Edwards taking on Ken Shamrock. He'll be accompanied by Sammy Callahan. Congrats to Ken Shamrock. Ken Shamrock will be going into the Impact Wrestling Hall of Fame on Saturday. No, on Friday night, actually. And um, But with that being said, I think Eddie Edwards will defeat Ken Shamrock at Bound for Glory. We have the Call Your Shot Gauntlet match. Basically, what this is is a Battle Royal, and the winner of the Battle Royal gets a chance to fight uh, and pick and choose a championship match against any champion of their choosing. I think uh, Heath will win because there's the added caveat of if Heath or Ryan loses, they both will leave Impact Wrestling. So, pretty simple decision here. Either Heath or Rhino will win <laughs> the Call Your Shot Gauntlet match. So, um,. EC3 or Moose in an undisclosed location match, pal. Uh, I got Moose win this one. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I think Moose, in a way, is here to set EC3 off from impact. I don't think EC3 is going to be a long-term participant in impact going forward. So, I see Moose defeating EC3. So, that's my prediction for that match. Uh, we have Rohit Raju putting his exhibition title on the line in a six-way scramble match against the beautiful Jordan Grace, Willie Mack, TJ Perkins, Trey Miguel, and Chris Bay. That should be a good match. A lot of fast-moving sequences probably in that match, so I'm down for the challenge. Uh, I got Jordan Grace uh, becoming your new Impact X Division champion. That should be a fun match to jot down. But hey, a Tessa Blanchard could be an X Division champion or a world champion. So could Jordan Grace. So Let's go Jordan. Yeah, I got Jordan Grace winning this one, pal. Uh, number three, Morrissey Machine Guns, Good Brothers, North versus Ace Austin, Madman Fulton. Uh, this is a fatal four-way match for the Impact World Tag Team titles. Uh, I keep saying that the North are the most underrated tag team in all professional wrestling, and everybody wants to prop up AEW's tag team division. Folks, I got to tell you, man, the uh, Impact tag team division is probably one of the best in professional wrestling right now so um, yeah this match will be a fun one to jot down but I think it's a pretty obvious pick here go, go with the big boot and a 1-2-3 uh, <laughs> the namesake of this podcast I'll go with the good brothers the good brothers are going to win their first Impact World Tag Team title since joining Impact Wrestling on Saturday that should be a fun match to jot down 
here's a match that I don't want people to sleep on. This one could steal the show if they have proper time. Diana Perazzo against Kylie Ray for the Impact Knockouts title. I'm looking forward to this match a lot. This should be a lot of fun to jot down. But I have Diana retaining over Kylie Ray. And in the main event, it's Eric Young putting his Impact World title on the line against Rich Swan. Now, I'll tell you this, guys. As much as I love Rich Swan and Eric Young's been doing some good stuff on Impact, I've, I've been... 50-50 on the build-up for this feud. I'll be honest with you. Some of it's been good, but some of it's been kind of meh. Um, I think they kind of overdid it with whether Rich Ron was injured or not. Uh, it, it's it's one thing to say you're doing physical therapy, but then you're running and storming into the ring after matches, and it, it just comes off as disingenuous, and that's not I'm not saying that Rich Ron is disingenuous or anything like that. It just comes off that way. So, I think Eric Young's promos have been good. I, I enjoyed the segment that he had with Scott Demore, and he's being this ruthless, uh, take-no-prisoners attitude that he has no remorse to anything he does to anybody because Impact is his world, and he can't stand in his way. So, yeah, I, 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 Rich Swan and Eric Young will have an awesome match at Bound for Glory. But in the end, I think Rich Swan will probably become the Impact World Champion. I can see Eric Young retaining too. There's a lot of ways we could go here, but um, I just haven't been really that excited for the build-up for this match, and it doesn't feel like this match should be main eventing this pay-per-view, in my opinion. So, um, nonetheless, so Bound for Glory should be a fun pay-per-view. Impact's been doing a good job giving out good pay-per-views this year, and Bound for Glory would be no exception to that list, and um, your boy will be covering that event coming up on Saturday for pro wrestling transcriptions.com, pal. So, yeah, uh, don't forget Bound for Glory, don't forget Ninja Man Pro Wrestling. By the way, if you guys haven't been catching up with XCUK, you guys are truly missing out, man. You want to talk about professional wrestling, you want a good, good wrestling show? NXT UK. Is the show to watch in 2020, in my opinion. I, I just love what they're doing, and that's going to be a fucking awesome event. So, um, with that being said, I guess we shouldn't waste some more time and get to what everybody's been waiting for. The moment everybody's been waiting for in 2020. The most highly requested segment in the pandemic era of wrestling podcasting, the segment that's sweeping the nation, a segment where we don't have filters, a segment where we speak from the heart and try to document and process the wacky Looney Tune world of all elite wrestling in Jacksonville, Florida. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, you know what I'm talking about. We're getting close to it, pal. We're getting close to it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for What the Hell is Wrong with AEW. And boy, do we got a lot to get off our fucking chest this week, pal. <laughs> we are going to start this bad boy off with Brother Carter. And let's see, let me take a look at my watch here in a three, two, one. 
it's time for what the hell is wrong with A E W. Before we get into the actual segment this week, there were a few good things about this week's show. I thought that the in-ring action, minus a couple of matches, which we'll get to here in a minute, was actually quite good. Wardlow and Jungle Boy had a good match. I think they're both underrated talents, and AEW can really do something with them. I thought the match between Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix was, was great as well, some great spots. And I also enjoyed the tag team match that closed the show. There was some... Good matches. I know, uh, you know, my, my colleague may not be the most fond of those types of matches, but I actually enjoyed it. thought there were some good moments, some exciting action. Uh, I thought that Eddie Kingston gave another fantastic promo, uh, both the one he gave off the air and on the air. Uh, I, I will say I, I don't like the fact that he keeps bashing WWE, but for this particular storyline, it may actually work. Uh, based on his delivery and the history between Moxley and Kingston. So I actually didn't have a problem with that. And then John Moxley gave another great promo. So the best work that they do is outside of the ring. Eddie Kingston is constantly growing on me. And he, he, he he's rivaling MJF for me, for top talent in the company. But now it's time, because believe me, we have a lot to discuss. Believe me, it's time for the segment you really want to hear. What the hell is wrong with AEW? Okay, folks, the commentary continues to get worse and worse every week. There's no flow between JR, Shivani, and Excalibur. They have it almost seems like they have no idea what the production team is doing. They don't know how to make make transitions in between segments. They they in between matches, it seems like they do a they're not doing a great job calling the action inside the matches like they get confused some of the times. The commentary is Awful. Okay, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. Kenny Omega sucks. He's terrible. And he should not be on television. He needs to go back to Japan and stay there. Because he works over there. He does not work on American television. He's absolutely terrible. I have zero respect for him after his segment this week on AEW. Why the hell does he get a long entrance outlining his absolutely useless accolades? Who cares about the Wrestling Observer Newsletter and the fact that he got a bunch of seven-star ratings from Dave Meltzer? Dave Meltzer is not a wrestler. Let me say that again. Dave Meltzer is not a wrestler. He's simply a journalist who has somehow his opinion has become the most lauded thing in professional wrestling. But yet somehow they they the AEW you know brings him up as if he's the greatest thing that's ever happened to the business. It's absolutely ridiculous. So they're they're going on these long long raids about Meltzer ratings, Wrestling Observer newsletter, PWI 500. It's absolutely Why don't you just let your in-rings work speak for itself? Kenny Omega is actually a good athlete, I think, and has I know he's had some great matches. I've had a chance to check some of them out on YouTube. His his matches in Japan, and they're good. Like it's let your in ring work speak for yourself. The best people in in any profession, 
This is a little tidbit for everybody. This is a little a nugget of wisdom for everybody. The best people in every profession don't brag about how good they are. They simply let their work speak for themselves. And everybody just generally recognizes that they are the absolute best. Here's another reason why Meltzer's ratings are irrelevant. He said that the tag match between best friends and the inner circle, Santana Ortiz, the one where Orange Cassidy came out, the parking lot brawl there, was just as good as John Cena and CM Punk from Money in the Bank 2011. They both got five stars. He said that those matches were as good as the five-star matches that Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano have. That's how you can tell. So the tag team match, which was a good match. I actually I actually liked the match. But you're telling me that that was as good of a match as John Cena versus CM Punk and Adam Cole versus Johnny Gargano. It's ridiculous. It was awful. The entrance that Omega got was longer than the actual match that he had. Kenny Omega sucks. I'm convinced that AEW is the place where careers go to die. AEW becoming the place where they're going to get paid a ton of money and then sent off uh, out to pasture. That's what AEW has become. The Dark Order is stupid. They all need to get away from Brody Lee. Uh, I actually think Reynolds and Silver are actually entertaining. Uh, When they're not with Mr. Brody Lee... I think they're actually entertaining. I think that, you know, Silver running around doing his, his Hulk up stuff was kind of funny. So, but they need to get away from Mr. Brody Lee. He brings them all down. Again, another example of a place where careers go to die is with Mr. Brody Lee. The Dark Order is stupid. They need to get away from him. Okay, let's talk about the MJF Chris Jericho segment. I, I don't even know what to think about this. The first part of it was stupid. The, the arguing with the waitress. And then, okay, I I will admit, I actually think that the musical number was kind of funny. Uh, it, it was it was kind of funny, except for the bad lip syncing. But let's be real, folks. If this segment was on Raw or SmackDown, people will say it was the worst segment ever. Unfortunately, for some reason, there's this stupid-ass double standard that AEW is this lauded company that is going to save the world, yet... They're doing the stu- same stupid, you know, the same segments that WWE does, these comedy segments, even though they said they were going to be the complete opposite of that and just be a wrestling company. Um, Jericho has gone way downhill. Uh, he should be embarrassed at this point by what his career has become. And again, another example, AEW is the place where careers go to die. Uh, so I, I just I just don't know what to, what to say about this segment. I, 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 I'm still... it's. It's, it's a day later. I'm recording this on a Thursday morning, and I'm still trying to process what I saw with that. I love Britt Baker, but she keeps facing competitors who don't have any wins. Let me see her against some real competition. Also, why is the women's champion not on television every week? If AEW uh, wants to be a legitimate wrestling company, they have to give their female superstars a chance. They, they, they just have to do that. And their women's champion is not on television or not mentioned every week. I saw a sign one day with AEW that said, all except women, which I am believing that with this company. Why does Darby Allen do all this stupid jackass type stuff? Like, he's with Steve-O. Like, what the hell's up with that? He's very talented, and I actually think it's a very bright future. I like Darby Allen. But he's doing all this crap that could get him seriously hurt for no reason. What if there was an accident and he accidentally fell and broke a couple ribs in that stupid-ass body bag stunt? He doesn't need to do that. 
Ugh, it's just, it's awful. It's so stupid. And then finally, the Young Bucks. So here's the deal with the Young Bucks. They've been these prick heels for weeks. Super kicking officials, paying them off like they're, you know, they're being, they're being absolute assholes. And now, all of a sudden, because they won this match, FTR is trying to break Matt Jackson's leg so that they're getting sympathy, and the commentator's like, oh my god, he's gonna break his leg! Ah, that's awful! Somebody stop this! It's so stupid, it's stupid booking, and it's just more fodder to get the elite over, because apparently that appeals to Tony Khan and his wallet. It's awful, AEW is going downhill, and the only reason that I watch it is because I, ca- because I talk on a wrestling podcast. Seriously, what the hell is wrong with AEW? This has been What the Hell is Wrong with AEW. Thank you very much, Brett Carter, for the submission this week. As always, uh fuck, man. I don't want to come out of here and be a broken every, record every single week, but I'm getting to the point where I am getting more mentally and emotionally wrestling drain with AEW. Like, I have my dislikes and just general disdain towards the vibe towards AEW and how they're perceived and all that stuff, but like it's getting to the point where it's starting to affect my passion for wrestling in a way. And, you know, last week I got into a big rant about how last week's show was just really a pure example as to why this is the current state of AEW. And the funny thing is that they decided to double down with an even shittier show, at least from an entertainment point of view. I am in agreement with Brett Carter. Uh, believe it or not, folks, there were a couple matches I did enjoy on Dynamite this week. I enjoyed the Pentagon Junior match with Phoenix. I mentioned that earlier. That was a bar burner. Fantastic match. I enjoyed the Hangman Page and Cole Cabana match. I thought it was pretty good, even though it was pretty long in a couple of moments. But all that being said, like this show... It's just another example as to why when you get hyped up about this new company that's going to rival and challenge the WWE, you just got to laugh at it because all they do is prove why they're not an alternative and they try to rip WWE off. That's basically what AW is. Conceptually, their company is to read rewrite and redo bad segments from WWE and try to add their spin out of it because they feel like they could do everything better than WWE. Hence why their company is called All Elite. They're, they're wrestling so elite. It's the, the elite of the elite. As elite as that fucking cringeworthy intro for Kenny Omega this week. This intro where it goes on and on. I love Justin Roberts. He's a, a Chicago guy. But while he was doing that intro, I wanted to pull a Jericho line and say, Would you please shut the hell up? So, 
We get this ridiculous long ass intro for Kenny Omega. He's back to being a heel. Shocker. Uh, the elite guys are back to being who they actually are as characters. Heels. Makes quick work of Sonny Kiss because uh, at AEW we kind of... Uh, kind of gloss over the fact when we are starting to get growing cases of coronavirus at Daily Slice, but hey, we're the first company to point out that, hey, you, Vince McMahon, you run a sloppy shop, pal. So, what a coincidence, you put uh, a mud show wrestler in Jelly Nutella in your AEW World Title Eliminated Tournament, which is another example of why your power ranking system is full of BS and bullshit, because how in the fuck is Wardlow in the tournament? What are you engaging on? Him squashing people at AEW Dark that I see him been doing over the last two months? What has Joey Janela done to qualify himself for being in the tournament? I know he didn't wrestle, but I, I want to ask that question. What has Jelly Nutella done to really necess- necessitate the fact that he needed to be in that tournament? Because he had a, a crappy, macho, lights-out match on Dark with Kenny Omega last year? So, Joey Janela is out because... He got exposed to coronavirus. Somebody uh, at one of his independent shows that he went to, he got exposed to coronavirus. He's not tested. He's not tested positive for COVID nineteen. But I'm caution. They decided to keep out to it. Fine. Okay. Let's bring in Sunny Kiss because boy, has Sunny Kiss has done a lot to, <laughs> to really get into that world title eliminated tournament, pal. First question is why is Chris Jericho and MJF not? In this tournament. I'll tell you why. In a couple minutes. <laughs> Back to the bullshit. So we have. Kato make, make quick work of Sunny Kiss. He's back to being the cleaner. Cool. Hippie Harry. But I gotta tell you man. That intro was so embarrassing. That I would rather hear Vince Russo. Do a 10 minute monologue on Thunder, then hear Justin Roberts do that introduction for Omega again. And as Brother Carter said in the clip, who gives two fucks about Dave Meltzer? He said, more five-star matches than anybody. Uh, he broke the Dave Meltzer five-star rating system. Wow. <laughs> Let's give Kenny Omega a guess world record <laughs> because he broke the Meltzer rating scale. Holy shit, man. <laughs> oh, my God. What are we basing this shit on? And, man, some of you on Twitter act like they do nothing wrong. I come on here and I try to be fair. I point out the fact that there was a couple good matches I enjoyed on the show. They had good wrestling matches. But... I gotta call a spade and spade. The commentary gets worse as the weeks go by. Man, did, did somebody hurt JR's feelings before the show went on air? Dude fucking sounded despondent last night. And then we got excrement being excrement. We got Tony Schiavone flubbing words. He came and uh, get the name of the late Damonier or whatever the fuck they called it last night. You can't get that at the beginning of the show. I keep mentioning each and every single week. The commentary is pure ass. 
you know, Taz had a lot of... Here's another positive, so I try to be fair, buddy. Oh, Josh, you just hate everything AEW does because you're a WWE guy. Ah, uh, no, not really, guys. Not if you're actually paying attention to what I actually talk about here. So, use the line for Taz because he said, you know, this really eats at my ass, you know? <laughs> this really eats my... Uh, <laughs> whatever the phrase is. You, you know where I'm going with. I'm going to Um... So he was like, this is like, this is what really grinds his gears, basically, right? And I like the promo that Taz cut on Darby Allen and T-Taz. I thought that was good. Nothing wrong with it. Quick to the point. Effective. Good stuff, right? Nothing wrong with T-Taz. And then we get into this fucking... I don't. I'm sitting here right now on, on Thursday afternoon, trying to process what the fuck I watched last night. To the point that my guy Jonathan Hood texted me a video of him basically taking off the recording, <laughs> canceling his recordings for future episodes of AEW Dynamite. The Ladina Demonia. The Ladina Demonia. Uh, the Ladina. I just made myself look like a fucking jackass segment of the year. The Ladina I, I, I can't gauge what's fucking entertaining in 2020. The Ladina. Uh, my name's Tony Khan and I talk out of both sides of my ass. The Ladina. Oh, I'm Chris Jericho. I'm never gonna work for anybody but Vince. Ooh. Shh. Oh, but once I start getting attention like Brock Lesnar, now I go work for all these wrestling companies. Oh, the late Demonair, I'm MJF. I'm above this cos- cosplay macho bullshit. Here's MJF dancing and pretending to be fucking, uh, what's his name? Um... I forgot the, the name. Uh, I know Frank, Frank, Frank Sinatra and Dean. Uh, the other uh, old school artists. Uh, I'll, I'll look for it. Look for it later. But you get the point. We're doing this lame ass Tony Awards skit that you can see on SNL or any public access challenge, uh, public access uh, channel. It's just fucking bullshit. This whole late dinner demonair, we're having this fucking skit out there, and we gotta wait for a town hall meeting because we gotta drag out Jake Hager and his entertaining ass, and we gotta bring out Santana Ortiz who say absolutely nothing, and we gotta bring out Sammy Guevara who's still a cunt. So we gotta bring out the whole crew. We gotta grab the island of misfit toys. That's the inner circle with this ringleader, this fucking Axel Rose ripoff, this jackass, this out-of-touch imbecile, this dude that's so lost with his own reality, the the Le Champion, the ratings god, the demo god, the million viewer man, the guy I'm a piece of shit Donald Trump supporter, the one and only Chris Jericho, gentlemen, this is... Ladies and gentlemen, this is where we got to the 2020. Chris Jericho ruining his legacy on TNT with Ladina Dimonir. Here we are. We're going to start dancing, pal. We're going to start dancing because that's really going to bring the ratings in. Yes, this is wrestling.
wrestling and we gotta get this wrestling heel versus heel feud that makes absolutely no sense but we're gonna make you wait next week for a fucking town hall meeting that's still not gonna make sense either and we gotta drag this out where we don't know if MGF and Jericho are gonna make out with each other or they're gonna start fighting with each other or the inner circle's gonna turn their back on Jericho wherever the situation is I give two fucks Unbelievable sports based wrestling. That's sports based wrestling. My ass. Don't even get me started on the main event. This f- fatal four way spot fest nonsense where the referee doesn't take care of Alex Reynolds where he's basically unconscious for a minute in the middle of the ring. I have no time for it. I'm going to have a heart attack if I get into that main event. So, predictably, we have FTR versus the Young Bucks at full gear now, right? Who is going to give two-fifths of a fuck about that match? Why should I care about FTR versus the Young Bucks? Why? Why? Because of the moves? I'm telling you guys, man, I really want to enjoy this company. I do, but they make themselves look like jackasses each and every single week. And they're spitting in your face because this is the same company that likes to shoot arrows at other wrestling promotions, but don't look themselves in the mirror. All they do is pat each other in the ass and tell each other how great they are, and there's no filter. There's nobody to say, hey, you, this is a stupid idea. They don't have... Filters at AEW. Oh, you gotta give them a break, Josh. It's a new company. They got creative freedom. That's the only problem in professional wrestling in 2020 is the creative teams are bringing down all these companies. Think about that. Is it really creative? Or the infrastructures of those people who are running those companies? When you have no identity, when you have the boys working in creative... Uh, you know, Jericho brags about, oh, ever since I've been in AEW, I had to say over everything I've done in my in my run at AEW. Good for you, bro. Everything you've done since the John Moxie feud has sucked. The inner circle sucks. Your feud with Orange Cassidy sucked. Your run-ins with Matt Hardy sucked. Your Ladino de Manier sucked. Just like everything else in this company sucks. If you were watching that show for the first time last night, I wouldn't blame you if you watched that show ever again. Just embarrassing. That is what the hell is wrong with AEW. I'm sick of this shit. Ridiculous. Alright. Let's get into some predictions for Hell to Cell before we wrap up the show this week. Uh, we got Hell to Cell coming up on Sunday. Probably add two more matches on the card for Hell in the Cell this weekend. Uh, probably check it out for Friday Night SmackDown tomorrow night. Probably look out for Rude and Ziggler taking on Street Profits for SmackDown, SmackDown Tag Team Towns probably. Uh, probably could add Dominic against Seth Rollins again. Uh, we'll see what happens there. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure it'll be a couple more matches will be announced for that event, but uh, let's go over the matches that are announced for the event so far. We got Jeff Hardy versus Elias. 
uh, pretty funny uh, concert by Elias uh, the other night. Um, Elias, comparing Elias to Jericho and MJF, Damon are two totally different things, man. It, it, it's it's just different. I mean, the parameters are different. It's just, I, I'm so embarrassed by that fucking thing, man, as a wrestling fan. This should get a Tony Award. This is the greatest segment in wrestling history. My ass. My ass. Okay, let's get into these predictions for Hell in a Cell, okay? We're going to start off with Jeff Hardy and Elias. I got Elias defeating Jeff Hardy, okay? Then when we go to Hell in the Cell match number uno, Sasha Banks versus Bailey. I got Bailey retaining the SmackDown Women's Championship over Sasha. I think Bailey found a way to win, and Sasha gets uh, out of TV for a while. Uh, I think they may run an injury angle here. So I got Bailey fighting one way or another to retain the SmackDown Women's Championship. Not that something I want to see happen, but that's where I think it'll go. And then we go into Roman Reigns against Jay Uso in the first ever I Quit Hell in the Cell match. Basically, all you have to do is say I Quit, and uh, Jay Uso will definitely say I Quit to the Tribal Chief. And this could be brutal. It's going to be ugly. It's going to be very physical. Uh, expect a lot more talking like it was at Class Champions with different parameters. Uh, Jay Uso had a really underrated Hell in the Cell match with his brother against New Day a few years ago. You guys remember that for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. Uh, this match should be insane. I'm looking forward to it. We'll see what happens there for this Hell in the Cell match with uh, Roman Reigns and Jay Uso. And then uh, we'll wrap it up here with um, Drew McIntyre against Randy Orton for the WWE Championship. This has been a great run for Drew McIntyre. Uh, I think Drew McIntyre has had a really good run as WWE Champion during the pandemic era. I really do think that Drew and Randy should have made it at this pay-per-view. With that being said, I believe that Drew McIntyre will beat Randy Orton at Hell in the Cell for the WWE and retain and remain your WWE champion with help from The Undertaker. That's right. I believe The Undertaker will cost Randy Orton the WWE championship. And boy, I hope that really happens. I really do. I really do. So be on the lookout for that. Drew McIntyre retains over Radio with help from The Undertaker. All right, folks. I want to thank you guys so much for taking the time to check out this week's podcast, as you do each and every single week. It really means a lot to me. You can follow me on Twitter if you like, at The Hoots Podcast. I'm on Instagram, at JoshLopez94. Uh, you can check out me on Instagram with Josh Lopez Music. If you want to see me do some cool guitar covers, uh, always opens to some, some suggestions. As always, if you ever want to send a question uh, during the Good Burger Cure Day session, all you have to do is send me uh, a tweet at the Hoots Podcast or the Hoots Podcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast right now so you never miss an episode. It comes to you free of charge every single th- Thursday on all your favorite podcasting and streaming platforms. Also, uh, if you could, Especially those who use Apple Podcasts, leave us a four or five star review. 
a rating. It helps expand the reach of the podcast. So if you could do that on Apple Podcasts, that would mean a lot to me. Make sure to bookmark ProWrestlingTranscriptions.com. Make sure to check out my recent appearance on uh, Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday for the 100th episode of Tuesday Wrestling Tuesday with Jonathan Hood. Make sure to check out our TWT draft. That was a lot of fun to record this past Tuesday. And, um, yeah, make sure, by the way, make sure to follow Bert Carter as well on Twitter if you like it, Derrico06, and support his work at WrestlingRumors.net. And, um, yeah, before I head out here, I just want to mention that, uh, as always, don't forget to be the authentic product that is yourself. Uh, there's a lot of bad stuff going on in this world these days. And um, always remember, no matter what's going on in your life, Never allow anybody to dictate the pace of your life. It's your life. You should go by your terms, and there's no other way to go about it. So I hope you guys enjoy Bound for Glory this weekend. I hope you guys enjoy your weekend. hope you guys enjoy Hell in the Cell as well. Um, If you have any questions, feel free to hit me up. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed episode 228 of the Hoots Podcast. And with that said, we're going to toss it off to Bert Carter for this week's edition of the Thoughts of Derrick Co. So have a wonderful weekend, everybody. I love you guys. Be the authentic product that is yourselves. Let's send it off to Bert Carter for this week's edition of the Thoughts of Derrick Co. We'll talk to you guys next week. Uh, yes, sir. And now... The Thoughts of Derrico. Listen well, man. Welcome, welcome, one and all, to a segment so powerful, no cell can contain it. It is The Thoughts of Derrico, featuring the one, the only, Brother Carter. Well, it's going to be a slightly different edition, yes, of The Thoughts of Derrico this week. I'm going to spend my time this week giving my predictions for the two pay-per-view events that are happening this weekend. (coughs) In Bound for Glory and Hell in a Cell. Normally, I don't talk about Impact Wrestling, mostly because I don't really watch Impact Wrestling. But I do want to give a a shout-out to it because Bound for Glory is Impact Wrestling's biggest event of the year. And some pretty big events have happened over the year at various Bound for Glory events. So, you know, it is their version of WrestleMania, so I figured, what the heck? I'm going to give my predictions for the show. Uh, I may actually check it out this weekend. I might be able to find a way. I've got my uh, sources and my ways to uh, be able to check out the show. And, uh, you know, it could be a good show. If it's going to be a wrestling promotion's biggest event of the year, why not try to check it out? So... I'm going to give my predictions. Again, I don't really have much in the way of what's going on with the storylines. I've just been following along what I've read on the dirt sheets on WrestlingRumors.net where you can find some of my content. And so I'll give you my predictions and we'll go from there. I'm going uh, in reverse order that's on the Impact Wrestling website. So we're going to start with the Bound for Glory Call Your Shot Gauntlet match. Uh, If you're not familiar with with it, Two competitors start the match, and after a time interval, another will enter. Eliminations occur by throwing your opponent over the top rope. So it's kind of like the Royal Rumble, except uh, when the final two are left, they compete in a singles match to be won by either pinfall or submission, and the winner gets a future title opportunity of their choosing. And uh, the first ten participants have been announced. Heath, 
Rhino, Hernandez, AC Romero, Larry D, Tennille Dashwood, uh, Taya Valkyrie, Brian Myers, Tommy Dreamer, and Havoc. And just for the heck of it, I'm going to go with Brian Myers. Uh, he's, he's due for something. Again, I have no idea who's going to win. But I'm going to take Brian Myers just for the heck of it, and we'll have some fun with that one. Should be fun, though. All right. Eddie Edwards is taking on Ken Shamrock. Uh, Shamrock attacked, brutally attacked Eddie Edwards just a few weeks ago. And, uh, you know, but then uh, Ken Shamrock um, allied himself with Sammy Callahan. Uh, so, and, and Eddie Edwards, I have seen him work, and he is very good. And so uh, I, I have a feeling, though, that uh, this feud will continue after Bound for Glory. So I'm going to say Ken Shamrock gets the win, and then they'll continue the feud after Bound for Glory because they'll be do it by some hook or crook. Or kind of by there'll be a controversial finish. So I'm going to say that Ken Shamrock gets the win over Eddie Edwards. EC3 battles Moose in an undisclosed location. Uh, He stole the TNA Heavyweight Championship from Moose and tossed it off of a bridge. So Moose had declared himself the TNA Heavyweight Championship, even though TNA was no longer a promotion, which I actually thought was kind of a funny storyline. So undisclosed location. I'm going to say EC3 gets the win. I've been a huge fan of EC3 for a long time, and I, I think he deserves opportunities all the opportunities in the world. I've always been a big EC3 fan. So I'm going to say that EC3 gets the win and defeats Moose. Six-way scramble for the X Division title. I I remember when I used to watch TNA wrestling back in the day when I had more time. I always thought that the X Division was great. And there's, I mean, some really terrific competitors over the years have uh, have competed for the X Division championship. And so I've always been a fan of this championships we've got let's see we've got the champion uh, i hope i'm saying this right rohit raju i think i'm saying that right versus chris bay trey miguel tjp jordan grace and willie mack and i'm actually gonna take jordan grace to get the win here uh I, you know i think that while there's some great talent here with um i mean i know what tjp can do i know what willie mack can do i know what jordan grace can do not as familiar with raju uh, bay or miguel uh, but I'm going to take Jordan Grace to get the win here, um, you know, and giving the female the opportunity, female the opportunity to have the X Division Championship. I think she could do some great things with that, and I know what a great competitor that that she is. So I'm going to take Jordan Grace to pick up the win for the Knockouts Championship. We have Diana De- Perazzo taking on Kylie Ray, two competitors that I have seen compete in WWE and NXT, and are now in Impact Wrestling. Uh, I was I'm still surprised that Diana Perazzo. Uh, was released from NXT. I, I can't figure that one out. And I know how uh, what a great job t- Kylie Ray does as well. I'm going to say Deanna Perrazzo retains here, even though there's a great opportunity for a victory here with Kylie Ray because she's fantastic as well. So don't be surprised if there's a title change here, but I am going to take Deanna Perrazzo to retain the championship. Four-way tag team title match. You've got the Motor City Machine Guns, the champions, which I'm a huge fan of them, versus the Good Brothers, Carl and Anderson, versus the North, versus Ace Austin and Madman Fulton. And Josh has talked to me about Ace Austin before. He thinks Ace Austin is a fantastic wrestler, very gifted. So I'm going to believe him. So this match could steal the show. I'm going to say that the Good Brothers uh, win the the championships here. You know, they've been due for a title opportunity and for a title win ever since their return to the company. So I'm going to say that this is a perfect opportunity for the Good Brothers 
uh, Carl uh, Gallows and Anderson to become your new Impact Wrestling Tag Team champ, uh, Tag Team Champions. And then finally, your Impact World Championship match: Eric Young defending his title against Rich Swan. Rich Swan will finally get his opportunity at the t- at the title, and I think that finally. Rich Swan is going to reach the pinnacle of the mountain and is going to become your new Impact World Champion. We know what Eric Young can do. He's had a, you know, a lengthy career and history with Impact Wrestling. Rich Swan has only been with the company for a relatively short amount of time, you know, a couple years. But I think this is finally his moment. And to close out the biggest show in the year, Rich Swan will finally have his opportunity and will be crowned your new Impact Wrestling World Champion. And those are my predictions for Bound for Glory this year. Again, I'm going to try to see if I can watch it. I think it could be a really great show. But now we're going to switch to gears and we're going to go to The Cell, which contains Hell, which is also happening this weekend. Um, I'm not talking a lot about Raw or SmackDown, though. I thought both shows were great. And you heard my thoughts about AEW earlier in the show, so we don't need to revisit that. Uh, because there's such, you know, I don't want to take up too much time on this on this week's show but I thought that both Raw and SmackDown were great. I'll get more into Raw and SmackDown and the new seasons of the shows once we get past this pay-per-view because we'll know the direction of where rivalries are heading, superstars, uh, where superstars are going to be going, kind of their storylines going forward after Hell in a Cell. So let's start off with Jeff Hardy taking on Elias in an interesting match that even though it was, I believe, revealed that Sheamus was the man that ran over Jeff Hardy, they're still continuing that feud, which is fine. Uh, I say Elias gets the win here. There's no reason for Jeff Hardy to pick up a victory because uh, Elias just came back and he needs to get a rhythm going again. So I'm going to say that Elias takes down Jeff Hardy in their grudge match at Hell in a Cell. Only four matches have been announced as of the time of this recording. And I'm recording this on Wednesday evening, right? Uh, uh, So we haven't had a chance to see what happens on this week's edition of SmackDown. So I'm going to be reviewing the four matches that have been uh, already advertised that we know of. Maybe throw out a couple more, and we'll get a couple more matches that will come, I'm sure. But we'll. uh, So I'll just, I'll just, you know, kind of quickly give a rundown of what I'm going to think is going to happen with that. Sasha Banks and Bailey. Finally settling their differences inside Hell of a Cell. This could be a great match. I was hoping that they would hold this out a little bit longer. I'm going to say that Bailey retains here and injures Sasha. And then Sasha gets written off of TV for a while. And then she comes back a little bit later on and we get another grudge match at WrestleMania. Maybe like a loser leaves WWE match or something like that. But they finally settle their score on the grandest stage of them all. And I think Bailey wins because, following that, her next feud will be with the EST of WWE, who I think is in a prime position to be the next challenger for the SmackDown Women's Championship. But I think Bailey retains her title. Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton, set to enter Hell in a Cell. I'm going to say McIntyre retains here and then gets into a feud with AJ Styles. Which is, I thought was the reason that he was being drafted to SmackDown, or to Raw rather from SmackDown. And you could make the argument that Styles is going to have a a uh, a feud or a um, kind of a, a program with Matt Riddle, which might happen. I'll say this: if McIntyre beats Orton, McIntyre goes on to somebody else. Could be, the, uh, you know, it could be AJ Styles, could be the Fiend. 
If Orton wins, I think his program with McIntyre continues through Survivor Series, and maybe well, no, because Survivor Series, the winner of that will face the universe. Will face spoiler is going to face the uh, Roman Reigns, who I believe is going to win the Universal Championship match. Duh. Um, so you know that also makes me also makes me think that McIntyre is going to get the win here because he's got to face Roman Reigns at Survivor Series where they where they put the brands against each other. So I'm going to say McIntyre retains here. I really want McIntyre to also get his moment in front of a live crowd, and I think that they can delay that out. He's done an amazing job in quarantine, uh, running the company, and being the face of the company with the WWE Championship. So I'm going to say that McIntyre retains, in which is going to be a great match. Uh, some other matches we could probably expect. Uh, I'm guessing we'll get a tag team title match of some sort. Uh, my guess is it'll be Nakamura and Cesaro against the Street Profits if we do get a tag team title match. And Street Profits will retain. I don't see any other championships changing. Honestly, at Hell in the Cell, I don't see any championships changing hands. Which means that one championship will change hands, I'm sure. I just don't know which one it'll be yet. But, uh... So I think that's I I think that's where we're going with that. You may get a fatal four way for the Raw Women's Championship. Oscar will probably retain there. So I I don't know. Uh, you, Sami Zayn may get a SmackDown or an Intercontinental Championship match. Though I think that they can do a big E program with Sami Zayn after Hell in a Cell, which is I think where they're going to go. But I'm sure match more matches will be announced on SmackDown. But finally, Roman Reigns taking on Jey Uso in what's, quote, the, the most high-stakes match in WWE history. I don't know where they're going with this angle. Uh, there's going to be something major that comes out of it, I think, though. I, and I think this is going to be a fantastic match. Uh, Roman Reigns is on a whole other level. Jey Uso has brought it this entire feud for these last couple months. He's been absolutely remarkable and has done an amazing job in his uh, program with Roman Reigns. Obviously, Reigns retains here. But it's going to be a brutal way to close the show. And there's going to be some kind of twist that's going to leave us with something to be desired on SmackDown the following week. Those are my predictions for uh, both Bound for Glory and Hell in a Cell. A great weekend of action coming up. A side prediction, I say that uh, uh, Namaga Medoff is going to retain his championship, his UFC championship against Justin Gaethy. But I'm very much looking that forward to that on Saturday afternoon as well. My final thought is, is what I've been saying for the last few weeks, whether you're a Republican, whether you're a Democrat, whether you're an Independent, make your voice heard on November 3rd or early voting. Exercise your right to determine the future of our country. Get out there and vote, folks. This has been The Thoughts of Derrico. You're smarter now, man.